Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. Hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the pleasure of introducing you to Heather S. Ransom. So Heather, say hello to the listeners. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you here because I think you have a lot you can share with us. Um, so let's get started, Heather, by first you letting us know what state in the wonderful Pacific Northwest you reside in. I live in Oregon, I'm down in Southern Oregon in Grants Pass. Awesome. I love Grants Pass. Absolutely love it. So, so um, my husband and I are going to be heading down to Bend for a little bit here in a week for my birthday. I'm going to be going to the Bend McMinimans for the first time. So I'm so super excited. <laughs> Excellent. It is wonderful. Yeah. I've seen lots of pictures. We've been to all of them except for the Bend one. So, so all of you that don't live in the Pacific Northwest, the McMinimans are these wonderful winery and beer pub properties with the most amazing soaking pool. So McMinimans, I am plugging you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Heather, let's get started also by you sharing just a little bit about your background because I know a little bit about it. Um, but why don't you list, tell the listeners first off, um, do you have a day job? And if so, what is that? Yeah, absolutely. I actually have been a middle school teacher for 27 years now. I'm in my seventh year of teaching. And I teach sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. For the first 25 years, I taught science. And I think that's really where my love of young adult science fiction came in and the science that's in the books that I write. And then in the last two years, I've helped our district create a middle school careers program. And oh, so cool. That's what I've been working on for the last two years. That's my day job. And I have to say, I love, I still love, after 27 years, I still love going to work every day. I get oh, with so neat, neat young adults. That's so great that you still love the day job um, and that you're in education. So thank you. I'm going to say thank you for being in education. Um, Absolutely. I'm an educator as well on the upper end of the higher education. And I do love my day job as well. We're fortunate, I feel like, to be in education. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So your career, let me ask this question because I always ask questions after somebody says something. So not necessarily what you've been prepped for. So in your career um, program, do you ever talk about authors as being a career <laughs> or is that more of the artistic side? That <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I talk, I do talk about it. I talk about writing as a career and, and not just being an author, but different things that you can do in the writing world. So some people write and then we also talk about editing and we mm -hmm. talk about publishing opportunities that are out there. We talk about illustrating and graphic novels and all the different ways that you can go about writing and being part of the writing world. That's so cool. I'm glad you're encouraging students at that age to um, explore writing as an actual career. Because so many of us authors were discouraged when we were younger, you know, as it's not a real job kind of right. a thing. So, so right. bravo, bravo to you. So do you share with them when you realized you were an, um, a writer? And if so, when you share that with your students, share it with us. Do you have a moment that you can tell them? Yeah, I, um, I actually didn't think that I wanted to be, I've never really thought I wanted to be a writer. I've always looked at myself more as a storyteller. I love telling stories. And I found that there was a story that I told in my classes about cells when we were talking about the difference of plants and animal cells. 
in class in seventh grade science in particular, I told this story every year. We talked about what if we could stand outside in the sun as humans and get full? How would that change our planet? So we talked about this story that started to develop from that year after year after year. And let's see, in about 2016, I think I had a student pull me aside and say, Mrs. Ransom, you always tell us we can do anything we set our minds to. How come you haven't turned this story into a book yet? (laughs) The first time I got called out by a kid and I thought, she's right. You know, this is a story that I love. It's a story that I'm passionate about. And it's a story that I love to tell my students. So why not try to write it into a book? And that was that was the first time I really thought about writing a novel mm-hmm. there. How cool, though, that you've already tested that. You tested that story out with several versions of students you had. So not all of us get that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, you know, it's, it's a, been a unique and wonderful process for me. The, fir- um, the first draft of Going Green, after I wrote it, then I was able to work with students. A lot of my students volunteered and wanted to be part of, beta re- of my beta readers group. And I have now about 100 different beta readers from the ages of 13 to 18 that love reading, that have read for me and are still reading for me. So it's been a really neat experience to get to work with those kids. And boy, teens are brutally honest. They will oh. I can only imagine. (laughs) You know, if it doesn't, if they think it doesn't sound right or, and they remember every detail, so they don't let me get away with anything. And they also, you know, they, I've learned young adult writing has to be super tight because Mm -hmm. if they get the least bit bored, they're going to put it down. We don't get to talk about the rolling mountains or the beautiful flowers. They want to know what's next, what's next, what's next. I love it. Well, you're so lucky to have that audience that will be your test readers for you. So so anybody else out there listening that's writing young A, you might want to hook up with a teacher that does some writing and see if you can go in and help them teach some writing lessons and maybe you can gather some readers. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. What a great idea. So I like to ask this question um, often to authors. We're told um, as writers and authors that we should always be reading. So what's on Heather's book shelf or her nightstand right now? What are you reading? Oh boy. Let me think about this for just a second. I always have multiple books going at once. I have something. I love audiobooks, And mm-hmm. so I'm always listening to something as well. Let's see. Um, right now, um, I just finished not too long ago, the library of the unwritten Mm, good. I have I have that one on my reading list. <laughs> yeah, really, really enjoyed that one. Uh, let's see. And um, I love Janet Ivanovich. I just finished mm-hmm. just finished Twisted Twenty Six. Uh, and let's see. Um, I've been reading also for for our publishing company. We have a really unique publishing company where we we all read each other's work. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always, I feel like I'm always reading drafts of that so that I can blurb those as well. Read a great one. Um, the second super guy novel, Electric Boogaloo by Kurt Clopton. Um, just read that, which is, had just came out. And that is a fantastic novel as well. So I feel like I'm always in the middle of several books at once. You've actually kind of caught me right where I'm ready to pick up something again and start reading. So I get How exciting. <laughs> Yeah, I get to go to my bookshelf and and pick another one soon. Oh, well, I I'm a one book reader. I can't 
I almost can't read two books at once, even if they're in different genres or, you know, I get too sidetracked to my mind gets too busy. Um, so I'm a one book reader. So I commend anybody that can read more than one book at a time. I can listen to an audio book and read because I can listen to audio book during the day and then read. I like to read at night. Uh-huh. Um, so, so very cool, but some great, um, recommendations. And that's one reason why I like to ask, because of course I like to grow my reading list or my listeners like also to get some recommendations. So yeah. So Heather, you have three books and we'll talk about the series, kind of the process of that. But um, so before we get started on that, why don't you give us the title of the three books? And then we're going to talk about your writing process, kind of, kind of dissect it a little bit for the listeners. Okay. Um, my three books, the first book, and it's a trilogy. The first book is called Going Green. The second book is called Greener. And the third book, which actually is releasing on March 10th, is called Back to Green. Awesome. <laughs> Back to Green. Yes. Okay. So with a series, did you have the series in your mind when you started the first book or did you start writing and then you realized it was going to be a series? Um, I, the, the story was one whole story. The story takes place in just over one year of my main character's life. The whole story from beginning to end, first book to third book. Mm -hmm. It was always one story, but too much to be one YA novel. It was, there's three specific events that happened for my main character that if that event wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened, the story, that part of the story would not have taken place. So there's three really important events that happen and that's where each book picks up. Oh, that's convenient. And also, I would think with YA, you have to have it broken down into smaller sections because the, the yeah. you know, that, that group probably will be like, if it's too, they're not going to read epic novels that I can see. <laughs> right. It's, they have to be more committed. And I think, um, I think teens and young adults that love epic novels will go for those, you know, like epic fantasies will go for those big books. But I think the majority are looking for a book, you know, that's about, Three between three and four hundred pages. That's you know around seventy five thousand to eighty five thousand words. That's really kind of what I see middle schoolers and high schoolers picking up. Perfect, perfect. Well, you talked a little bit about the readers as a part of kind of feedback that you get. Do you have other methods? Do you, I know you already have a science background? So did you have to conduct a lot of research as you were writing this, or did from your background was it just already planted in your mind? Um, no, I still had to do a lot of research. <laughs> 25 years of science background, there were things that I found. I tried to um, make the science in my book all based on things that are happening today that really, truly could come out of where we're at today. Mm-hmm. So did a lot of research there. Also, my main character plays the cello. I absolutely love the cello. And she, Calissa is my main character. She has always played the cello in my mind. Um, I played the flute in fourth grade and that's about it in terms of my musical experience. So I had to spend a lot of time researching just things like, what does it feel like to play the cello and what are the sounds like and who are the composers and what is the language of music and music I didn't realize has such its own beautiful language as well. And the way that they describe things. Then I think the final piece was then taking those two teens who play the cello And I had one young man who was wonderful to work with. And he said, Mrs. Ransom, I have to tell you, there's three spots in your story where someone who really plays the cello will know that you don't. I said, well, let's sit down and talk about those. And so he gave me terminology of how he would talk about it. And he is just an incredible, incredible cello player. So that part was really interesting. 
So I've had to do a lot of research. Uh, I don't I don't know if you can write a novel without doing quite a bit of research for it, possibly, but not not my type of novel. I, I want to make sure all my science is correct. And um, that current things that are happening right now, looking at what scientists are reflecting about and what they're thinking about toward the future, those are the types of things that I want to be able to tie in. I completely agree with you 100%. I don't think you can write a good fiction novel without a lot of research. And I I love research. I'm a, I'm a librarian. Um, mm-hmm. Besides a day, you know, it's my background. My master's is in library science. So researching is like right up my alley. It's my thing. I love it. Um, and so I always find it interesting when I ask that question, when I um, hear authors that um, don't do as much research as I'm like, oh, let me help you. <laughs> There's so many yeah. great things you can add. And I feel like authors and writers really are researching nonstop just by living daily. It's like they're observing everything, it feels like. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so cool. So let's talk a little bit about the publishing process for you. I have a lot of listeners that come to the podcast to listen because they're on the journey of publishing like I am. So share with us what your journey is. Um, you know, did you start out with deciding to go traditional? Are you indie published? And then from there, do you have an agent? And kind of walk us through that process. I know it's a long process for many. So, but let's do, you know, the, the short yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. So for me, um, just real quick. So I, I, when I finally decided to write my book, because I knew my story and I loved my story, I dove right in and started doing the research. I actually wrote my story in about three months and I was like, I'm ready. And then I spent the next three years revising. That makes me feel good. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. You know, I thought, oh yeah, it's ready. I am so glad no one, no one gets to read that first draft. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, um, the first draft is incredibly important. If you don't get a first draft done, then you'll never have a novel finished. But that first draft is definitely not the draft that, I would think for the most part is going to ever go out to the public. Oh, I would hope not. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. My first draft, it's like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, um, so the first, so I set, I started working with, I got the first, not the draft done and went, and it was very interesting. The first woman that I pitched to was an agent and she told me I would never sell my novel. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so, you know, she said I would never sell it because, our society was not ready for people who are green, who are not aliens. That was her words to me. Huh. And I simply said, well, I'm pretty sure we're not going to be um, great. I mean, I was pretty sure she wasn't going to pick me up at this point. Exactly. So yeah. I'll just say this. As a science teacher, we've never proven that aliens are green. So, <laughs> so we, uh, but then I, um, from the first, I went to a conference and I ended up pitching my book probably 10 times at the conference. And from that, I got some great feedback and I joined SCBWI, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a great move for me, writing young adult. Um, the networking is incredible in SCBWI. The amount of people who are willing to talk with you and mentor you and give you ideas and the the workshops and the conferences and things that are available there were really important. I also joined the Willamette Writers, which is here mm-hmm. in Oregon and also in Washington, another writing group, one of the largest writing groups in the Pacific Northwest, and took classes there. And what I found was everything that I, every class that I took, whether it was in my genre or not, whether I thought it applied to me or not, each one I picked up something that mm-hmm. I applied to my writing. Mm-hmm. 
think that that's really important. I don't have a degree in writing. My degrees are in science, but I feel like those classes and those things that I picked up were just little nuggets, incredible, precious pieces along the way. And then along with the networking, it was really important. So for three years, I pitched and I pitched and I pitched and I changed my, and I don't even know how many drafts I wrote, a lot, you know, <laughs> editing and changing and, and kept, but kept pitching all along the way and kept working on my pitch. I knew that I didn't want to self-publish. Um, I'm really busy. My husband and I also own a restaurant. Mm-hmm. We have other businesses as well. There's a lot going on in our lives. So I knew that self-publishing, I couldn't give the time that I needed to self-publish. So I knew that I either wanted to traditional publish or go with an indie publisher, someone who was up and coming. And so in 2017, I believe, I, um, oh geez. So I started writing this into like 2013, I guess, and finished it up 2017, 16, 2016. Oh, sorry. I have to think it's about okay. it. I'm terrible with dates. Two years. Yeah. 2017. I went to a Willamette Writers Conference and it had been three years of pitching and revising. And I really felt like my story was where it needed to be that I finally had what I was really, really loved, the draft that I loved and the story that I wanted it to be. And I went to um, a Willamette Writers Conference, the big summer conference where there's people from the publishing industry and from both uh, film and literature. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go one more time and I'm going to pitch it here. And I didn't tell anyone this, but I thought maybe if nobody picks it up this time, maybe this story was just meant for me and my students. And I've learned so much doing it. And it's been, a, it's been great. And I've made friends and the networking, the people I've met along the way have been fantastic. So I thought I'm going to sign up for everything I can sign up for this and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to that conference and the first thing that I had signed up for was a, um, a pitching contest. So there was like 30 people who got into this pitching contest. We were all YA and we each got like two minutes to give our pitch. And then we got, got feedback from a panel. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Gave my pitch and it was, it was super cool. I practiced, I drove from Grants Pass to Portland and practiced my pitch for three and a half hours. That three and a half hour drive was fantastic because I packed, I practiced that two minute pitch. I don't know how many times. (laughs) And I got up there that night and nailed my pitch and I won the pitching contest, which was super cool because I won like $50. So that was cool. Just, just winning that. But from that, that weekend, two of the two people who were on that panel ended up offering me um, contracts for my book. Two. That's so fantastic. I love it. I love that you were brave to do that because I don't know if I could do it yet. Yeah. And that is one thing that I would say, like the biggest tip that I can say is Talk to everybody you can about your book. When you get a chance to get in front of somebody, no matter how nervous you are, no matter how you feel about it, pitch your book, talk about your book, read from your book, just keep doing it because every time you do it, it gets easier. I love it. um, So by the time I pitched that night, I think I had pitched like, you know, over a thousand times on my drive up. That pitch was almost just on auto by that time. So it worked out really well. I ended up choosing to go with the publishing company. My publisher is Not a Pipe Publishing, and oh, my I know Norman. them well. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I ended up Ben and I ended up talking about the book and about where he was and where I was. You know, I was a new author, 
he was a new publisher and I felt like we were kind of growing at that same rate. We both were hungry and wanted the same types of things. And I decided that Ben was a good fit for me. I'm still a teacher. I can't travel a lot, but Ben sets things up for me and, and I can travel as much as I want. He's fantastic with social media and with getting things out there. He has set stuff up in the state of Oregon and outside of the state of Oregon for me, just kind of kind of what I'm ready to do and what I have time to do based on my life. So I think it's been a really good match for me. Yeah. Ben came on the podcast earlier and also several of his other authors that you're affiliated with came on earlier. And the thing that I found about Ben and and what I find that I'm hearing from authors on a small indie press like Ben's is uh, is that it's quite a family. It's a real big family. You guys take care of each other. Absolutely. Support each other and you help each other. It's a community. And I think that's really fabulous to have a group that is small and um tighten it and you can share a lot with each other because that I'm finding networking is so huge and I love the fact yes. that you talked about um because I, I usually ask the question about support groups and you just talked all about your support groups and that you went to the Willamette Writers um and went and did some education for yourself because I think that's important too I'm not sure if any excellent writer out there can just do it by themselves I think everybody has to have some sort of support group and team right and I think too you know um, I think everyone is is somewhat of a storyteller because we all tell our own stories and we're all passionate and we all love our own stories that we tell. But there is something to writing, you know, where you have to put some time into the education process that goes with it. I think most people can't just sit down without any sort of background and and just and write the perfect novel. No, and I agree. And it's something that I'm embracing this year. So my listeners, if they've listened to the podcast, they've been following me from the idea of I'm going to write a book to I'm now writing a book to I'm in a writer's group. And now I'm embracing it much bigger because I'm getting to the place of like, now what? And I'm I'm working towards looking outward to find, you know, the editor that I need and find the support from that point forward to move forward. Right. And so it's very fascinating, this process. But what's most important to me is that I've discovered and I've been told so many times um, on this podcast from authors like you is that it's a journey and don't stress out about the time factor of it. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and the other thing I would say is this, have, have people read your book. Mm -hmm. It's, it's great to have, it's great to have your good friends read your book, but think about, I, I have three friends who read my, who have read all of my books and edited for me. And I've thought really about what I wanted in terms of having people read my book before I send it to Ben and it goes through the editors at our company. So I have one friend who is a prolific reader. She reads um, just about everything. And she's also a science teacher as well. So I love having her read my stories because she loves reading and she reads just about everything that's out there. And she knows science background, which is nice. I have another friend who is a retired teacher who um, was a language arts teacher and in, at the middle school level and high school, but also just a very, very prolific reader and a lot um, part of a, a book club, you know, and just very active in literature community. And she's another one of my readers. And then the last one that I, I got to read for me was she's retired now, but she was an, an AP English teacher at high school. Oh, so an advanced placement. So I love having her edit 
everything. And she's read, or she loves all the classic literature, you know? And so each one of them brings something different. The second editor that I told you about also, she does not like science fiction. She does oh. not like science fiction. She prefers not to read it. And so I figured if I could get her to read my book and be interested and care about my characters, that, um, that, that was my goal with her. And so it was, it was, it's been a very interesting process. She told me as she started the book, she was like, I don't know. I don't know. And by the end of the first book, she told me, you know what? I really have fallen in love with Calissa and her story. And I can't wait to see what her next, the next part of her journey is. And so things like that, thinking about who would be someone who would not normally pick up your book and getting them to read it and give you feedback, I think is just as important as someone who loves science fiction for me, you know, and loves science and wants to read it. So thinking about those different types of things, I think are very helpful as well. Well, Heather, I got chills when you were telling me about your friend that didn't like science fiction, but she fell in love with the characters. So that's like, woo, yeah. that's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, I was a little nervous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, I'll share one little detail about the experience that I'm having with my writer's group and the same thing. And then we're going to talk, um, we're going to start getting you ready for the reading because my listeners are like, okay, Vicki, I pulled into the parking spot at work. Can we listen to the reading? <laughs> right. <laughs> so so um, a similar experience, I met a writer's group with um, four other writers. Um, two of them are crime writers. So they are, um, uh, one actually is crime writer. One uh, is really is around um, more like a lawyer. So all of his characters around the lawyer. He's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Himself. So when I came in, so I'm writing historical fiction and my first book is historical fiction and it has a very strong female character in it around Queen Elizabeth I. And the very first thing the lawyer told me was like, I don't really like love stories. And I'm like, oh, this isn't a love story at all. He automatically assumed, you know, historical fiction is going to be love story. I go, there's love in it, but it's not like romance. He goes, okay, great. I go, there is a romance piece in it, but let's just see what you think about it. So, you know, he was all, let's do the battles and the scenes. I'm like, yeah, well, when we get there, you can help me with those areas. So when they got to the first real tender love scene kind of thing, he came back that next week after reading it. He's like, okay. So when you said that there was no love story in this and it was a, you know, different kind of story writing than, you know, what you would expect, he goes, I can't believe it. This was so great. And he has fallen in love with the characters so much. And I'm like, see, I could sell you on historical fiction. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And I think that's something that's really important is that you're, you have to have a story where the plot drives the story and the characters leave your readers wanting more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. They really buy into the lives of your characters. And then I think it doesn't necessarily matter as much of the genre that it is in if, if it's such a great story. And that, I think, is, is what we're all really striving for, is to create that story that people can't put down because they fall in love with the story and the characters that are a part of it. Heather is going to read from um, one of her books, one of the three in her trilogy. So Heather, before we get started, why don't you go ahead and give us the titles again and then set us up because you might not be reading from the third book, which is coming out in March. You, We were talking about maybe reading maybe around it or kind of, so set us up to give us enough information and background about what you're reading so that the listeners can settle in like I'm going to and listen to your reading. Yeah, so my my third book in the series is coming out March 10th. The first book in the trilogy is called Going Green. The second book in the trilogy is called Greener. And then the third book is Back to Green. 
And I think that today for your readers, I think I'll go ahead and read um, just from the first chapter of Going Green. Uh, I think that it gives you a, a look really into Calissa's life. And as I said before, this story, the three books are really, it's just over one year of her life. And it's three important things that happen that send her life spiraling in three different directions based on what happened. And if, if the, if the opening chapter of chapter one in each book had not happened, then this story would not have taken place. It wouldn't have happened the way the books came out. So I think, I think I'll go ahead and read chapter one for you in book one, going green. Here we go. Chapter one, pull it together. Calissa. I thought, This is not the time to lose it, not when you're this close. Still, I felt traces of panic, like tendrils, silently descending into my body through the crazy number of tubes inserted in me, leaving a feeling of dread rooted somewhere in the back of my brain. I tried to lie still. A relentless chill seeped up into my body, not freezing, but close. I adjusted my legs just a little. Please, Miss Brentwood, you must be completely still. A gruff voice. My eyes fluttered open, but I couldn't focus. A white coat, disconnected movements, blurs of motion from across the room. I closed my eyes to stop the spinning. Soft, mechanical whispers slipped through the air. And sometimes voices. Nothing I could understand, just murmurs. My eyes opened again, and immediately another wave of nausea. I quickly squeezed them shut. Why can't I remember to keep them shut? I must have made a sound because the soft voice whispered in my ear, don't try to talk, relax, we're almost finished. A gloved hand brushed against my face. Think about something you enjoy, visualize yourself, and picture yourself a beautiful green while you're doing it. One more touch and the hand with the voice was gone. The voice was right. In a few weeks, I'd be green. I had to finish the enhancement procedure. You must stay still, Miss Brentwood. The gruff voice was back. I hadn't even realized I'd moved again. I had to focus. I couldn't afford to mess this up. That's the end of chapter one. I love it. I'm totally intrigued. I need to know more. (laughs) So would you, would you like me to tell you a little bit, a little bit of background for the story? Yeah, if you want, that would be great. Okay, so the, this, the, my trilogy is set, it's about 125 years in the future, and it's based on things that, happen, that are happening now and that potentially could be happening about in the next 10 to 15 years. So in this future, everything is based on the color of your skin. The color of your skin lets everyone know who you are. So you are either, in the future, you're either green or not green. No other skin color matters. So people who have been able to go through the enhancement process have had enhanced chloroplasts put into their bodies so that they no longer have to eat to survive. And originally, this the whole idea was thought that they could get this chloroplast procedure done and so that they could spend time trying to find ways to better their world. What happened was a virus went through the planet and we started losing all the plants on our planet and, and pop, human population was dying due to starvation. And so they had to find a way to, um, to modify the chloroplast to go into humans. And by the way, there is real research actually going on right now 
trying to figure out if we can modify chloroplasts to go into people. We don't necessarily think that we could end up not eating at all, but maybe that we could eat, you know, 40, 50% less than what we're consuming now. There's some interesting things, interesting studies happening right now. Very interesting. Let me ask a quick question, follow up on that. Would that be um, eating based on a plant-based kind of diet? Is that what the research is doing? Or does that mean actually eating animal product as well? Do you know? Um, it, n- not having to eat anything. anything. So having, you know, the idea, in my story, it's the idea that um, the chloroplasts in the cells are able to completely photos- photosynthesize. Like humans. plants would. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Oh, interesting. But what about, I have so many questions now, Heather, you <laughs> opened up the Pandora's box. Okay, I, I won't ask any more questions. <laughs> no, that's okay. So the, the idea is, um, so in the future we have, so um, about 25, it takes it, uh, about 25, up to 25 years from now, this virus is running rampant on the planet. And then the virus, that we they end up creating um, a think tank. Mm-hmm. And from it, they create two projects, Project Double Helix, which is working on creating chloroplast on humans, and Project Noah's Ark. And Ark stands for the Arbor Restoration Collection. And they're the people who are trying to save plants and seeds that are on the planet before everything goes extinct. So they're out there working on all of this. They find a way to make this green enhancement work. And then something happens and the virus just stops. And no one really knows why. I got to do a lot of great research into viruses mm-hmm. and the whole debate on whether viruses are alive or not is a very interesting, interesting debate that is a hot topic right now. So that, that was great to, um, to get in all that and see both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's a, it's a, it's something that hasn't been decided. I mean, it just depends on which top researcher you listen to. Mm-hmm. Did it freak you out to do some research on viruses? Because it kind of would freak me out thinking, Oh my gosh, there's so much out there that we are not aware of that's floating. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And yeah, and the way viruses work and how they spread and just the amazing, amazing research that's out there. So the idea was, so the virus stops, but they continue doing this enhancement project, which really what it ends up doing is creating two classes in society. They call them the contributing class and the supporting class. Yeah. And it, in the story, they talk about, oh, yes, both classes are important. But to get into the contributing class, you have to be accepted. So you have to apply and you have to pass all of the physical and mental tests. In, or, and, you, and then you have to have the money to be able to pay for it. You can be scholarshiped to go green in the future. So if your family doesn't have the money and you work really hard at school, you could be scholarshiped into that process. But the idea is that the... Um, the the chloroplasts are in your cellular DNA, but they're not in your hereditary DNA. So you cannot pass your children. So every person must choose to go green and go through the process. So you have to be 18 years old to go through it. And the story opens with Calissa. That was Calissa in the first chapter. Mm-hmm. And she is, she just turned 18. It's right before spring break of her senior year. And she is going through the process. She comes from a family that has always been green. In fact, her great-great-grandfather was one of the original scientists in the think tank. And her dad is now the CEO of AHGA, which is Advanced Human Genetics Assessments. So she's always known she would go green. And this story is about her meeting someone who has chosen not to go green, who is smart enough, who has enough money, and who has chosen not to go green. 
So the first book is really the idea of what if you make a choice that is permanent because once you go green, you can't have all of the chloroplasts taken out of your cells. Mm -hmm. A choice that's permanent. And then you decide you've made the wrong choice for you. Oh, I love it. I got chills, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, so it's it's that type of idea. I think one thing I just want to share with you, one thing I think that's really important. I, a few years ago, I got to listen to Richard Peck speak and he has a prolific writer and has written so many amazing novels. But one thing that he said that really stuck with me was that said today's middle grade and YA writers are writing the survival guides for tomorrow's adults. Mm-hmm writing them today. So the kids that are reading our stories today, there has to be something more than just a story there. It has to force them to examine something in their own lives, to compare something, to think about it. Something that causes them as they're reading to think about how they could reflect on it and how it might affect them. And so I feel that's really important. All of my books have some sort of message or idea or theme along that line that I hope that teens and young adults who, who choose to read the stories really think about um, as it comes through. And the, the one, like I, said, like I said, in the first story really is about choices and consequences. I love it. Well, they, you've set it up for an amazing intrigue. I think my listeners are going to be like me, like, oh, I need to read all of these. And that's what I like about young adult books is that I enjoy them a lot because they're not necessarily adult, but they're higher level enough that um, they intrigue me. <laughs> Maybe it's, yeah. I don't know. I just love them to death. So, so wonderful. So before we head out of the podcast, Heather, I know you have a lot of background. We didn't mention that um, your association with the Willamette Writers Group. So why don't you share that with us? And then also take us out with a final thought that you would share with, to somebody like me. You already gave a really great tip um, earlier on, but take give us one more tip that you would share with somebody like me that's in the journey not sure where or how to start this publication process. Okay. Um, Okay. So first Willamette Writers. So after I joined Willamette Writers and and began going to classes and conferences and they have local chapters all throughout the state of Oregon. And then also in, um, they have one in Vancouver, Washington now as well. Mm -hmm. As I started to get more involved with that group, I found that um, there was a, there was a lot there that I, that I really enjoyed. And I felt like it was something that I wanted to become more of a part of. I'm also the type of person that when I get involved with something, I want to get involved 110%. Yeah, me too. Uh, (laughs) um, I It's all or nothing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's it. So I ended up, uh, a spot came open and I ended up applying to be on the board. And so I'm currently on the board for Willamette writers, which is a really neat thing to get to kind of, um, talk with other writers from around the state and help take a look at where our organization is going. More than that, though, I think um, being on the board, I think is important and we do great work. But I think what I really love is I am also the co-director for two young Willamette writers groups in Southern Oregon Mm -hmm. and meets here in Grants Pass. And we have teens 13 to 18 come here uh, one Saturday a month. We meet on the third Saturday of every month come to Grants Pass from all over. We get kids from Ashland and Medford and Central Point and, and here in Grants Pass from all over the place. We have kids come and we bring in authors and writers from all over to talk with these kids. And they each get a copy of their book when they attend my, um, my group as well. So we meet and we talk 
And it's fantastic for me too, because I get to hear all these incredible writers, this little one hour workshop of what do they think is the most important thing to put in your writing. So that has been amazing. And we just this year, um, just in January, just this month, we started up um, a chapter at the Oregon Youth Authority at the Rogue Valley Correctional Center. Mm -hmm. That is really cool, too, because I'm getting to work with young men now who are in um, the prison system. And I get to work with them, uh, reading and writing and bringing these same authors who come in, they present in the morning to my local group. And in the afternoon, then we go over to the correctional facility and they get to present there as well. And such, just such a neat group of young adults who have made mistakes and who are working their way through, you know, coming out on the other side of that. And to be able to be a part of possibly, you know, planting a seed that helps change their future has been a really, really neat thing to be involved in as well. So um, that's been a really cool part of Willamette Writers for me is to being, being able to develop that help develop the Young Willamette Writers program and then to bring it into the correctional facility too. Well, Heather, I love that. And I think that's so wonderful because oftentimes I've talked with other authors on this podcast or I'll talk with them on the side where um, just journaling and writing and finding your voice as a writer, you don't have to become a published author, but writing, the act of writing can be so healing. And I think it's wonderful that you're sharing that with the the young men in the correctional facility, but also with um, other young people out there that may not have that opportunity unless they go to a workshop like that and they get to experience what it's like to be a writer. And then maybe they'll be our future authors, right? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So wonderful. Well, Heather, um, one tip for us, and then we will end the podcast. One more tip. You have so much great stuff. So thanks for sharing all of it already. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the one thing that I would say to anyone who, who thinks they might want to write their story or they know they want to write their story is this. You have to write your story. You have to be the one to find your story and tell it. Because if you don't tell it, no one can. I think that um, one of my editors... Uh, um, who works with me, the one who works locally, who used to be the AP teacher. It was pretty, it was interesting. She came to me and she told me, she said, um, I believe a good story ultimately finds its own way into the world through finding its best teller. Mm. And she Green is an important story for adolescents to hear. The story just waited for you to realize it was your responsibility to tell it. Mm. And I think that is true for all of us, if you have a story to tell, then you and no one else can tell that story. And I believe the stories are out there. And for me, when I write, I don't necessarily feel like I'm making things up. I feel like I'm telling a story that I know when mm-hmm. I'm writing. And so I believe that. I believe that stories are out there and they are waiting for their best teller. And if that is you, then no one else can tell the story that you can tell. So if you don't write it, The world is missing out on that story that you have to tell. Oh, Heather, I love that. And it's speaking to me today because I feel like the one I'm working on, it's taking so long, but I want to make sure I tell her story so well. And so I keep going back and, 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 and adding to it because you know, the character, she keeps coming to me. I know it sounds really weird, but she keeps coming to me. And, and um, so I appreciate you saying that. And, And I really appreciate your, your editor that said that to you too, because it's so very true. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I need Absolutely. To, 
And maybe somebody else out there today needed it as well. <laughs> and so. don't feel that that's weird at all. My characters, I still dream about my characters and they're green people. Every once in a while, <laughs> through my dream and I'll think, why is there someone green in my, I mean, I catch myself in my dream thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, but, I love it. I love it. Well, it's fantastic. Well, Heather, we wish you the best. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for working with younger, um, soon-to-be writers and teaching people how to find their voice at a younger age and encouraging them there to do that. And um, I really appreciate you having coming on the show. Absolutely. And thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.